When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We now present Manny Hill's Four Deep Thoughts on the Ride with Royce. This is supposed to be a uh, low news weekend, but it wasn't. Once again, it was not. There is not such a thing anymore in the sports world in the Twin Cities as a low news sports weekend. Would Correct. you? I mean... I'm sure you were fixated on the X Games, but uh, we had all kinds of other things uh, going on. By the way, I saw the traffic heading towards the X Games on uh, Saturday after uh, Sunday afternoon, and there were a lot of people going down there. Yeah, yeah, I actually, I actually dipped in a little bit. It's not part of my four deep thoughts, mm-hmm. but I did dip into the uh, X Games a little bit on Saturday. It's uh, they got some nice crowds out there at the uh, Taj Mahal, and uh, they're going to be back. Yep. All right, here is thought number one, and I wanted this to be number one, Patrick, and I thought of you because I wanted you to get I wanted to get you riled up for the okay. show already. So right. go ahead. Yes. Line to center field and yes. a miss. A diving miss by Cave. Go through. Utera is to third. Mike Churchill is gonna win at home. He is safe. <laughs> It's and the bad Royals enough. The twins. It's bad enough. Okay, Ryan Lefevre giving a very professional uh, call there, but it was that that idiot Rex Hudler bass screaming in the background. I think it might have been. I don't know who who uh, Ryan's call guy is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was audio for my house because I was cheering for Drew to get it inside the park. <laughs> Why not? Too. By then. Oh God! Yeah. yeah. Come on, now, baby. I, 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 as I say, I gave up on him when I heard they lost. They didn't get swept by Kansas City, but they were ahead three to two when mm-hmm. this occurred, mm-hmm. and this was a three-run inside the park home run. Yes, it was. My guy Jay Cave. I'm giving up on him too. I was on his bandwagon <laughs> two weeks ago, but it was tough was. to fault him though because he did almost make the Tried catch. It. But yeah. It it was just a perfect exclamation point. On Almost the ain't close enough, baby, mm-hmm. when it, you're playing Kansas City. Kansas City's <laughs> first series victory since early May. Oh, my gosh. Not sweep. First series they've won since early May. Wow. Doesn't it just kind of something like that just sort of sum up the season as a whole, though? Like yes. It just, yes. It just, yes, it does. I mean, it's it, just it, We've it's now just bookended. We've bookended. Zach Duke failing to touch first base <laughs> to lose a game mm-hmm. with Drew a guy Butera. getting Drew Butera an inside the park three run home. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah. Yes, uh, you dude, you got me riled up. Thanks a lot. I haven't <laughs> had the guts to look at it. I can't stand to look at it. It's uh it's how how the what's wrong with you guys? You were eight and two on the homestand, a walk off grand slam. 
And your momentum is to go in and lose three straight to Kansas City. And they got three hits yesterday. Three. Three hits. They have Kansas City has 30 victories, six against our boys. You know why? They're better than the Twins. (laughs) They're better than the Twins. They stink. They're better than the Twins. (laughs) Number two. And the fans welcoming Josh Hader back to Miller Park. That's in there for a strike. And Hader... Gets the backwards kick. Okay, wow. I don't want to spend this segment <laughs> rallying on this kid because I've kind of moved past it. But he's apologized. He's but, done all the things. But but Brewers fans, come on, the standing don't, o. Don't don't don't. I mean, come on. The you don't give the guy a standing ovation like he's some sort of conquering hero coming back. You know, post All Star break from this just savage beating that he took on social media. Like, just enough. Just It's just ridiculous. And, and well, it's I'm Keith just... Hernandez coming back from cocaine. You know, standing no 50,000 people in I that for... stadium. In, uh, in Shea Stadium. I forget yeah. what it's... player did this, So I, I, but it was so perfect. It was an NFL player that retweeted it and said, God forbid he kneeled during the anthem. <laughs> right. yeah, it was right. so perfect. Yeah. It oh, was yeah. so perfect. Oh yeah, There's, you know if it that'll never happen. If, if Kaepernick gets back in the league and starts a game, they're not going to greet him with a standing no. ovation because right. he knelt during the anthem. Oh yeah, but yeah, it's uh, I it, it was an embarrassment. But there's so much of that in sports. Well, remember Ray Rice before the video came out mm-hmm. that. They were interviewing all those Ravens fans and saying, well, you know, he should be playing. You know, there was a protest out there that they wanted Ray back, right? Yeah. And, then, just, uh, and then the video came out. Sports fans. And took care of that. So. Hey, all right. Uh, number three. With Montreal on the other side of this bottoming out, having already gone through three quarterbacks, the one thing we do know now is that Manziel showing up there means we're going to get to see him play. And so if you are a prospective NFL team, if you're someone who thought maybe he has some gas left in the tank, if you're someone who's just been following this along from a human interest standpoint, you're finally going to get some sort of payoff to this experiment of Johnny ending up in Canada. All right, that's Mike Golick Jr. from this morning on Golick and Wingo. And uh, Johnny Manziel was traded from Hamilton, who he never saw the field for because Jeremiah Masoli was was starting. And uh, he's going to Montreal, who is coached by former Packers head coach Mike Sherman. Who I recru- thought I saw him on the sideline, and I kept yeah. saying that can't be Sherman. It's it's they Mike stink, Sherman, right? And he he uh, yes, they're they're terrible. They're the worst team in the league. Basically, the offense is terrible. They've gone through a bunch of different quarterbacks, and, and Mike Sherman, hurt, right? Yep, Mike Sherman recruited Johnny Manziel to Texas A and M. Remember, well, yeah, that's right. And then yeah. he got fired. Right? Then he got fired the next year because Johnny redshirted his true freshman year, uh, Sherman's last year at A and M. So. Uh, Manziel figures this. to probably play. Yeah, I would well, imagine. Why not? Why yeah. not? What the hell? They got They're terrible those? anyway. So and by well the throw way, uh, I, uh, to Mike, I'd like to say to Mike Golick Jr. Yes, he does have some gas left in the tank. He hasn't used any of it. Yeah, right. He's he twenty-five. Hasn't used any and he's gas. barely played. Yeah, he's played fifteen minutes. He's got gas. We don't know if he's got anything else, but he's got gas in the tank. Side note, too, on this story, and you guys will like this: the uh, Hamilton Tiger Cats have offered $100 gift cards to anybody who bought a Johnny Manziel jersey. All they have to do is bring the jersey mm-hmm. in, and they can give uh, the fan a $100 uh, gift card to it's, whatever, isn't that, whatever is that they want. Is that June Jones' team? Hamilton? Yes, Hamilton. Yeah. Yep, yeah, June Jones. Yeah. Yep. All right. So what is this, an old folks' home for coaches? Mike Sherman, <laughs> June Jones? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, Mark Tressman, 
Our guy, Mark yeah, Tressman, he's, he's coaching Toronto. Toronto so. now after winning big with the Alouettes. Yep. All right, number four. Uh, a little ticked off of myself, for sure. Uh, I had a chance starting that back nine to, to do something, and I didn't do it. Unfortunately, I hit uh, a bad three and off the tee there at, at 10. Grass grabbed, grabbed my shaft again and hit it left, and hmm. I made a couple mistakes there on the green. Tiger's back! Yes. Tiger's back! <laughs> that was the big story on Twitter yesterday. Tiger's yeah. back! Half a freezing cold takes I had to put out a special edition. Oh, I yeah. bet! <laughs> yeah, pretty much everybody from Skip Bayless to uh, just about Skippy's? everybody else. What was Skip? Skip said uh, at 10.41 a.m. yesterday. Oh, God. Tiger might have just won his first major in 10 years with the shot of the tournament. A sink or swim gamble out of the fairway, pot bunker at 10. Power launching a wedge up over the lip and the burn to the front of the green. The shot heard around the world. <laughs> yeah. And then there was another one shot heard around the world when he hit it into the junk. Yeah. On the on next you know, I know golf doesn't need Tiger, but that was pretty fun yesterday watching him. Yeah, you know, it was cool seeing was him fun. seeing him in the mix, but, but just uh, everybody after here's his, his first problem, nine holes. Right? He no longer feels invincible. That's his problem mm-hmm. when he's He's he has doubts. Yeah. And when he was great, he never had any doubts. He's got doubts now. Yep. All right. Now he's with the rest of us. We yes, all have right. doubts. <laughs> all righty. Uh Manny Hills for Deep Thoughts. We'll be back. Uh, we're gonna talk with uh, Courtney Cronin about the uh, untimely death of uh, Tony Sperano, the offensive line coach for the Minnesota Vikings. Courtney Cronin covers the Vikings for ESPN.com after a long, arduous uh, term with uh, Matthew Collar. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I saw your tweet uh, when you first heard the news of Tony Sperano's death, and you pointed out it was the last conversation you had at minicamp was with Tony. Yeah, um, pretty surreal. I had just actually transcribed an interview that I did with him uh, for that larger I think I told you on Friday, this larger story I'm working on about John Filippo, and most of it was about their time together in Oakland. Um, I just transcribed the interview a few days before, so pretty surreal to have just kind of heard his voice, and, you know, he was, you know, that'll be my lasting impression of him, just how gracious he was with his time, and, you know, had a great conversation with him there at the end of June, and, you know, it's just a reminder of how fragile life is, where you see somebody one day, and then they might not be around the next. Courtney, assistant coaches in the NFL have a, a lot of them have a tendency to be a little uh, cautious when they're talking to reporters, suspicious, or they just don't want to say anything that uh, even if they're allowed to talk, they don't really want to say much. Uh, was he, uh, uh, he had that grouchy uh, exterior, but that apparently was not him. Yeah, no, I mean, Tony's a teddy bear. And, and uh, several coaches that I talked to, said the exact same thing um you know when you you talk about you know guys on the staff and you know personalities i mean tony was gruff on the outside on the exterior kind of had that no nonsense East Coast type attitude and when you talk to him you always feeling like you learn something um i did a story on pat elfline right ahead of the nfc championship and just how critical he was in the development of the offensive line and you know the run game last year just really Everything that that unit went through, it all started right there at center and, and the tremendous work that Alfline did. And some of the stories Tony was relaying to me where, you know, he had him in a room last year during training camp and, you know, once everybody left, uh, you know, closed the door and said, 
I guess it was just kind of a rough day for everybody involved. And he said, you know, do you really want to be here? I mean, you can go home. Uh-huh. You can't. But, you know, he said, do you really want to be here? Because you need to start basically, like, voice, you know, be a leader on this line. I mean, you're going to be the quarterback of this line every single game. Uh, you need to start being more vocal here. And also I kind of got a little irritated with him from what Tony told me. He said, yeah, of course I want to be, you know, here, and I want to have this job. And, I think that just goes to show it's one of the many examples of how Sperano was able to get the most out of every single guy that he coached, especially these offensive linemen. You know, if you're going to gain respect with these guys, you know, you gain respect with the guys who are in the trenches, the guys who are getting these, you know, have these thankless jobs in the NFL. Um, and, and that's really been his MO everywhere he's been, at least, you know, to my understanding. I think the, the video that really sums that up the best was when Donald Penn, the Raiders' left tackle, after you know they won that Thursday night game against the Chiefs in 2014, snapping the 0-10 start, uh, handed him the game ball. And, you know, those guys respected Tony. There was not one person you talked to, especially of his position guys, that didn't view him as somebody who, you know, had their best interest in mind. Uh, in, in with most uh, football teams, NFL, college, wherever it is, the offensive linemen and their coach have a complete. They're they're off on their own more than any other group, as far as personality wise, as far as the way they uh, uh, deal with the media. Is you know, it's a different group, obviously, yeah. because they have to be both rugged. And extremely technical, and they are the, you know, if they block some guy all day long, they get no credit, and if they give up a sack, they're all idiots, and it's a, it's a completely different animal in the relationship they have with their coach. Oh, totally. I mean, they're, they're the thankless unit. When, when something goes wrong, they get blamed, and when something goes right, you're typically looking at the running back who broke off a big run or the receiver who had time to get open. Uh, be his quarterback when you know had back in the pocket to throw to him. I mean, it's 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 a thankless position. It very much embodied. And Tony Tony had been a coordinator. The interesting thing with him is he was a coordinator after he was a head coach, um, and he had you know been a position coach with with nine different teams. He's he's you know, had different jobs, and you know I think the offensive line truly embodies everything about him: blue collar, hardworking. You know, even after the whole thing that happened with the Raiders where the interim tag was there, um, you know, heard a story relayed to us today from, from a reporter out in Oakland that he showed up every single day to work, despite when all this stuff was going on, when Mark Davis and Reggie McKenzie were trying to get the higher right, and they ended up going with Jack Del Rio. Um, Sperano showed up every day until his contract expired. And, I mean, that's that's the true hard-nosed type of guy that he was where – valued what he did and I mean, even as Mike Zimmer said it in the statement yesterday he's a true grinder and he really valued what he did with his job and, and put a hundred percent into it uh, my uh, example with offensive linemen and their coaches has always been Alex Gibbs out out in uh, Denver where uh, mm-hmm. they they had a whole deal you know there were some ex Vikings on there and I knew them and and got, managed to get to talk to them once which was impossible but they had the whole no interview thing and they're all in it together and uh, they always have the fine system and the whole thing it is it's a it's a Weird relationship. Tice, Tice had the same thing with, uh, you know, his guys when he was the line coach. He was much better off as a line coach than a head coach. And, yeah. uh, it's, they're just different cats, uh, offensive line coaches. Oh, totally. I mean, there was, 
you know, you, you're, you're not going to get Riley Reese to say much. Uh, Nikki's been probably not the same. There's, you know, there's a few, there's a few guys on the offensive line. Elfline's definitely a go-to. Um, you know, at least was his first season. But those are guys who never really sought out the spotlight. Um, and I, try, I always try to describe this in, um, in the way that Case Keenum said it perfectly last year when I asked him about Elfline. And I think it really embodies Tony, embodies the entire group. It's, that emoji face, you know, an emoji face, like on the cell phone, like the, the one that has like the eyes that are aligned and the mouth that's aligned, like you basically look blank. <laughs> he said that, you know, when something goes right, he made the face that looked just like that. You know, that's what Elfline looks like when something goes wrong. Same face. I mean, mm-hmm. these guys are, you know, as e- even keel as they come, and they're not going to show a whole ton of emotion. I mean, they are the the backbone of this team and a very big reason why this entire group got to the NFC championship and, you know, had a 13 and three record last year. And, you know, you take a look at Tony's lasting legacy, um, certainly the wildcat there in, in Miami and, and, you know, taking a one in 15 team to the playoffs and, and, you know, the AFC East title, but what he did here in the last two years, despite all of the circumstances that this entire team dealt with, with, you know, losing an offensive coordinator mid-season, everything that Mike Zimmer went through, losing Teddy Bridgewater, and, and on top of that, everything that happened last year, the success that they had to have the number seven rushing game in the country going from dead last in 2016 is as much a testament to Pat Shermer as it is to, to Tony Sperano. Hey, uh, Courtney Cronin's with us, covers the Vikings for ESPN.com. Any uh, word from Winter Park on what kind of uh, plans there are for uh for a funeral, for any any things like that, or do we know have, what's, do we know what's going on? Yet. Have not heard anything specifically yet. Um, we will hear from Mike Zimmer on Wednesday, and I would imagine that arrangements will probably be in place. Um, you know, logically, at the end of the week, they have a shorter day on Friday. I'm not sure if that will be the day that they decide to do it when veterans report. But you know, the NFL is one of these well-oiled machines. I spoke with um, several people out over at um, in Egan today. You know, just checking in to see how things are going, and it's been a really tough day. Uh, and a lot of people inside that building, Tony was well-loved, well-revered, and well-respected. And you try to think that the NFL is going to you know, keep moving on next man up, but you've got to see it's the human element that we're dealing with here. These coaches and these players and the staff members that knew them are grieving. This is a really tough set of circumstances at an incredibly inopportune time. Um, and, you know, you, you, your thoughts just go out to them as they try to navigate this because nobody has the answers of how you're supposed to do this properly. As uh, assistant coaches move around so much, and as you say, nine teams, uh, Do we? where is he from? Where? Wh- what's home for Tony? Uh, New, I believe it's New Haven, Connecticut. So okay. he was out there and he, and he coaches alma mater. It's where he got his start in all of this. And I mean, that's the story behind the, the sunglasses. Uh, he was yes. you know, in his native Connecticut when he was 17 working at a fast food restaurant and had a hot oil splash into his eye. Um, and, you know, were those uh, the sunglasses are as signature or as synonymous with him as uh, you know his gruff exterior, but you know everybody knew he really cared about his players. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater's tweet to me tweet uh, yesterday to me was the most telling part of this whole thing. He's like, "He cared about us. We were not just athletes." In the eye of, of Tony Sperano, and I think the stories that you hear this week and, and the stuff that gets relayed, of course, football is going to be at the um, you know at the forefront, but. How much of a family man 
Tony was. Uh, I spoke with Greg Olson yesterday, the Raiders offensive coordinator, and I asked him kind of his favorite memories to air during the time. Uh, that was his. That was uh, Sprano's offensive coordinator when he was handed the keys on an interim basis. And you know, I was expecting him to talk about the the first win that they had. You know, getting Derek his first win and, and why that meant so much. But the first thing he brought up to me was his grandchildren. He loved those two, and his daughter just got married. I mean, his sons are involved in coaching, and just the impact that he had with his family and how much you know how big of a loss this is for them and in the immediate group there is just you can't state how big that is what uh the offensive coaching staff is tony's tony had an assistant i presume of, of some kind uh, yeah andrew janaco who okay. is an assistant offensive line coach has he been here a while is he a young guy young guy okay yeah. so well so i mean it's and it's one of those circumstances now too where you know you say you know the machine doesn't stop, but, you know, at some point, and you, and you never know when the appropriate time is, they will have to, you know, that conversation is going to come up. I don't know if that's a conversation they're having today. Um, there's certainly options, whether you were, you know, when they get to this point, if you're going to promote from within or if you're going to look around the league to find potentially guys that are retired. I mean, you brought up a name like Mike Tice. I mean, he's somebody who did not get retained on John Gruden's staff. Um, I know that that's happened in circumstances before where, you know, tragedy strike and you have to find somebody uh, right away, you know, that may be the route that they go. I don't even know if they're there thinking about that yeah. yet just because of how tragic this was. All right. Hey, Courtney, uh, thanks for your time. Yeah, appreciate it. All thanks, right. Tracy. Uh, Courtney uh, Cronin uh, uh, covers the Vikings for ESPN.com. I uh, is this a little different than the Corey Stringer situation, obviously, but... Uh, Kicking off a uh, football season with something like this is... Uh, That's the not, first thing not, I thought of, too. Yeah. Go for sure. And uh, they are different cats, man. Offensive linemen and their coach are... It's, it's uh, like us against the world. It, well, I mean, and you they, could they're, tell... They're teammates, but it's you against the world. And you could tell, too, Pat, the outpouring of... of you know, condolences from all over the the league on Twitter yesterday. Yeah. It was everywhere. That guy was beloved. Yeah, it, you know, he took all that heat in Oakland when he first took over there because of the we're burying the past, and then of course they still stunk. And mm-hmm. and uh, but uh, he's uh, you know I, I I didn't know him, but uh, obviously uh, you know it's going to be hard to. Zim loves, let's face it, Zim's a crusty old coach who loves having crusty old coaches around yeah. him, and uh, this is uh, this got to be a blow to him. Wa- for Wildcat, sure. man. When, yeah. they, when they went into Foxborough that <laughs> afternoon and hung 40 that's, points on Belichick, that's that's that Wildcat last, with Ronnie Brown and those guys. That's the last time New England didn't win the division. Yeah. That's 10 years ago, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it yeah. 14 out of 15. Yeah, 2008 won. it was, yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. All right, we'll be back. Johnny Height, tell me if you're going to give the Twins lineup here so I can plug my ears. I'll give you plenty of warning. How's that? All righty. I don't want to hear it. These mutts. Uh, Woof, woof. This update sponsored by Hotels.com. With Hotels.com, get rewarded from seaside cabins in Oregon to five-star resorts in Mexico. Hotels.com is all the options, and for every 10 nights you stay, you get one free. Hotels.com, you do you and get rewarded. Free nights don't include taxes and fees. Are you here by circle? (laughs) 
Twins now in Toronto after losing three straight. You got to stop making it so fun to get you riled up. By the way, Pat, that's not on you. us. It's on you. I have to tell you, when the <laughs> Twins are good, I love working with you. Mm-hmm. When the Twins are bad. It is like oh. it is life changing oh. working with you. <laughs> I was there, Harmon and Bobby Allison, <laughs> two grand slams in one inning, eleven runs, nineteen sixty two. This was the future. These were my guys. Now they're out there diving on your head <laughs> and giving up three run homers to Drew Butera that don't even leave the park. The only way he could possibly get one. <laughs> Twins. Go, Drew. Go. Come on, baby. Come you on. can do you it. Get it. Oh. Twins are in Toronto after losing those three in Kansas City. Alberto Mejia pitches for the Twins tonight Ooh. against righty Luis Santos. Uh, Irv Santana will make an appearance finally uh, in this series also. He'll start the last game of the series, which is a day game on Wednesday. He had that surgery on a finger. was due back originally, they said, in late April, early May, but he had some setbacks. Now he's ready to go. Uh, here's your warning, Alberto Padre. Alberto here, though, it's good because last time I saw him pitch, it was at Wrigley, and I thought he was going to oh, die of yeah. heat exhaustion. <laughs> Was he 195 pounds then? <laughs> he, he, he lost 30, so he'd have to lose 80 to would, get to 190. Would he and Big Bobby Wilson combine for the largest battery mate tandem in baseball? Uh, By the way, his last time out in, uh, what, he give up eight runs in an inning and two-thirds in Rochester or something? But go get him up. Get him up. Go get, get him. him. He's okay. Go get him out. It was you or Zach Littell. <laughs> Zach well, they had to take somebody off the rooster. I don't know who they did. They had to take somebody off the. 40 not man. Trevor Motter. They just brought him off. Taylor Motter. Or what's his name? Yeah. No, Taylor. I mean not off the twenty man. Somebody off the forty. Oh. Mm. Here's the lineup. I'm plugging my ears. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Got Mauer leading off at first base. Rosario in left field. Dozier at second base. Escobar hits cleanup plays third base. Logan Morris and DHs in the fifth spot. Jorge Polanco at shortstop, Max Kepler in center field, Mitch Garver catching, and Robbie Grossman in right field hitting ninth. Uh, what other? Robbie should resign hitting ninth in that collection of crap. He uh, he's hitting <laughs> over three hundred in July. I heard the other day. Yes, he's having. A, he should hit fourth. <laughs> I think he has a few times already. He has. He's hit everywhere lately. Uh, what I other? Mahler wishes they fired him. <laughs> Middle of September. I bet he wishes they never made the playoffs last year, so he had to get stuck with a three-year contract to manage these mutts. Whoa. One other uh, Twins note, uh, Ken Rosenthal says the Twins have been approached by one team about dealing both Brian Dozier and Eduardo Escobar in the same trade. Uh, he says he has no official word, but says it's the Milwaukee Brewers that are interested. Yeah, they need a shortstop and a second baseman. Yes, exactly. Uh, the uh, kid at the or the guy at the Cubs game, everybody lay off him that didn't give the ball to the kid. Yeah, uh, because he had given that same kid a ball earlier, mm-hmm. and he had given balls to three different kids in the crowd. Okay, during that ball game, that's according to everybody who was sitting around him. So, uh, well, how does he get every foul ball? That's what well, I. Want he to ended know. up with four of them, from what I read. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, this one that you know everybody complained about uh, yeah. in, in the video, he took a picture of it with his wife, handed it to his wife. They took a picture, and he gave that one. To a kid in his same row, a different kid. Mm-hmm. So all the kids yeah. around him got baseball. So, <laughs> but he and Parkman are the same now. They can't go oh, to the ballpark anymore. Are you people actually discussing this? My God, the venom yesterday oh, was, was unbelievable brutal. on yeah. Twitter. Well, you idiots, complete idiots. Mm-hmm. This is why Ooh, Twitter. Us or them? All of you that talk about this dumb topic. Mm-hmm.
Well, Kenny's. You should be like me when How I was got your weekend? Well, you should be Fantastic. like me when I got the one in the press box and pretended like I was going to throw it to a kid and then didn't. There you go. You should have pretended. But then I came down three innings later and gave it to I him just when love, nobody was looking. I just love when <laughs> I just love when Royce and Kenny are both just fired oh, up yeah. in the same second. Well, it's it's such so a great. ridiculous. Is this what the world has come to? Stop yes. talking about this yeah. crap. We all got, all got to be nice to kids, you know? Little oh. brats. And then they, okay, thank you. Then they could get strep throat and turn into complete maniacal idiots. Hey. Have you ever heard that seen those stories? I know what you're gonna say. Yeah. Noah Syndergaard. Noah Syndergaard. He was hanging out with Leland. Olbermann was back on late night sports center mm-hmm. last night and he was just going I come back and the Mets my Mets got a guy with hoof and mouth disease <laughs> buddy did you hang around Noah Syndergaard <laughs> yeah. that's what he was Unreal. doing we gotta go here oh, yes we do hoof and mouth disease yeah something yep, it exists unfortunately although the rule is a Mueller rule and is not widely known as others and I should know better I've been in the sport for a long time and I've always been diligent in making that, making sure that I know what I can and cannot put in my body. Uh, you know, it's just hard not to think that this guy was blessed with amazingly good looks, wonderful body, you know, trained his life off. You know, trained every moment of his life, but boy, is he a blockhead. Wow. Ryan Lochte, he's proven it virtually every time he attempts to do an interview, and today it happened again uh, when it was revealed that Ryan Lochte has now been suspended until July 2019 for sending out, it was an Instagram or Twitter? Instagram, right? They might have been Instagram. Instagram photo of himself getting an intravenous injection in may which is banned under anti-doping rules unless it's been pre-approved uh so he gets a 14 month old ban retroactive to may 24th and announced by the usa drug enforcement Association. you know because it it basically they had no choice because he did not get it approved ahead of time what an idiot. What a, he's just a big lunk, isn't he? What Just a <laughs> dummy of all time. He was suspended 10 months for the thing that happened in Rio, the bar fight or whatever the hell it was down there. And uh, he also forfeited $100,000 in his Olympic medal bonus money and, compan- and barred from uh, banned from competing in last year's national and world championships. Now he's got another suspension. What? Doesn't he have anybody, he's a money-making machine, doesn't he have anybody telling him, don't put that out there? Didn't he have a falling out with being an idiot. Was it his mom that was kind of his manager? And did they have somewhat of a falling out after the Olympics? Well, mom probably told him he was a dummy. Probably. (laughs) Mom was his big defender down there, Mm -hmm. though, right? In in Rio? I think so, yeah. Hey, Ryan, did you have any thoughts on your bar fight? I've seen uh, maybe a restaurant. He's a dummy. Uh, This isn't an official late hits, but uh, another item. Troy Merritt, a much brighter individual, uh, formerly of Spring Lake Park and briefly at Winona State. Uh, Oh, that's right. He was a very good basketball player at Spring Lake Park. 
And then he uh, he and David Backus were there at the same time, Spring Lake Park. Mm. You know, he was playing hockey. And uh, pretty good senior class. And then he he transferred. He was playing at Winona State. He transferred out to Boise State and had one year when he won four or five tournaments. He was the winningest golfer in the country. I, ended, I called him up out there and did a column on him when he was Boise. Well, today... Uh, he won his second ever tournament on the uh, PGA Tour. Uh, he won the 2015 Quicken Loans, the one in Washington that's uh, moving. And then he won today, won the Barbasol Championship in Kentucky. Now it's opposite the British Open, so you don't get the best of the best there. But it was a good field, Billy Horschel and some of those guys. He was in a four-way tie halfway through the, the final round today. You saw at Carnosti where they hadn't had any rain and it was brown as could be. They had five inches of rain during this tournament in Kentucky. Wow. And uh, they were playing today. I watched it. There was nobody out there watching because they it was carried over to Monday. And every time they hit a shot, there was a big mud splash oh. coming out. But uh, Troy Marin ends up winning it. He had a 567 today. He started with a 62 in the first round. He wins at... 23 under, so you better be ready to uh, one shot ahead of three different players. So Troy Merritt, good for him. And I do believe this gets him to Augusta. So, And nice. it also moves him up to uh, somewhere in the 60s, in the uh, 65th in the FedEx Cup points list. Really good kid, so good for him. And one other item, uh, and we mentioned this earlier. On Saturday night, for the first time in 13 years, they they opened what they call Mount Davis at the Oakland Coliseum, the mm-hmm. the big bleacher that they build up on top, the big grandstand that they build way up on top at Oakland Coliseum for the Raiders when Al Davis moved them back. 56,310 showed up, and I don't think they had any special promotion. Or well, they're playing was, the Giants, they right? They were playing the Giants, yeah. yeah. They beat him four to three with a walk off, uh, uh, walk off for from Jonathan uh, Lacroix. He walked to walk it off, I think, or did he home run? I'm not sure. Anyway, they won eleven innings, but they drew fifty six thousand three hundred ten, and they uh, made people act think they're serious about uh, trying to get in the wild card. They traded for uh, Familial, mm-hmm. the, uh, reliever, the Mets closer, the Mets, Mets closer. Yeah. So uh, and didn't give up much from what I could see. No, it was a couple of mid-level prospects at best. And but they also gave, I think, international bonus money or something oh, like that. Oh, the old international oh, yeah. bonus money. You know, and but, that's why I want uh, those guys to figure out their stadium because that's a good baseball town. And the A, I, I want the A's to figure well, it's it out. A, it's, it's a completely different baseball town. San Francisco has the you know the kind of the special folks who've been giant, and then they got the blue collar. Mm-hmm. You know. Now it's a, it can be a dangerous place. When sure, a whiskey. Out sure, mm-hmm. But uh, it is, it is astounding. Now it's only for two more years, but it is astounding. The worst stadium in America is the only one that has both an NFL and and uh, MLB team. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's the only Oakland Coliseum is the only one that's got both of them. Yeah. Nobody's got both anymore, except that place. But. Uh, uh, 56,000 show up there, and wow, as you say, the bathrooms must have been under stress. <laughs> yes, they probably <laughs> they've were. They've had a few explosions there through the years. We'll be back. Quiet, please. We'll be on the air. And now, this day in history. Patrick? 
John Landis, Steven Spielberg, Joe Dante, George Miller. These acclaimed directors take you to another dimension. A journey into a wondrous land whose only boundaries are your imagination. Next stop, The Twilight Zone. The uh, the Twilight Zone, the movie, was being filmed in July of 1982, and that is, of course, the trailer for it once it was finished. There was a little problem in the filming on this date in 1982. As I said, Vic Morrow, who was the star of the John Landis, John Landis, there was four different stories. He was the star of the John Landis one. And uh, there was a scene in which he had a Vietnam flashback and he's carrying uh, two kids to safety in a battle. And they were two child actors, six years old, Renee Chen and uh, Micah Lee. And uh, he's carrying them. At, they were filming at night. He's carrying them through this water and there's a helicopter right over hand and they're shooting off fireworks uh, you know, kind of like like there's a battle going on there. Well, the uh, helicopter was flying too low, and the the jolt from the uh, fire from the uh, weapons, the blast was more than they expected. the The helicopter went careening into more, and the two kids. He dropped one of the children. He was decapitated. One of the children was decapitated. The other one was crushed. So uh, three people uh, were killed on that day, July 23rd, 1982, the filming of uh, The Twilight Zone. Uh, Morrow had been the star of a popular TV series called Combat. He was always a, he always played a very, uh, a very disturbing guy. Sure. And he was in a Twilight Zone episode of the, of the original Twilight Zone, which yeah. is one of their more famous ones. But uh, there was a long, long lawsuit. There was criminal charges, the whole thing. Uh, they ended up, uh, the, the family's lawsuits, 10-month uh, trial, and uh, all five defendants were acquitted in the thing, including Spielberg, Warner Brothers, and uh, Twilight Zone, and John Landis, and the whole deal. But uh, it was released in the summer of 1983 to mixed reviews for good reason. Anyway. Uh, on this day was the day that uh, that uh, horrible uh, movie-making tragedy took place. 